Welcome to Brown Bag Religion, the MF Casser podcast. Okay, thank you uh, everyone for uh, attending. I think we'll start uh, and it's a pleasure for me to welcome my two colleagues, uh, Tone Stangland Kaufman and Kristin Graf Kallevog to this uh, week's MF Caster lunch. Um, uh, and uh, Tone and Kristin will uh, share with us actually uh, research in the making. Uh, this is uh, an uh, investigation they have carried out, as I understand, uh, recently and uh, are about to publish. Uh, and these are perspectives from a discipline that we do not very often have uh, had presentations from in in this uh, uh, lunch talk series, uh, more of sort of practical theology that is, uh, uh, um, yeah, that is, uh, so, so we are very happy to have that, uh, that uh, field also represented. Um, so uh, I'll just uh, give you the floor, uh, uh, both of you, and uh, as usual, uh, all comments and uh, questions are welcome after their presentation. Uh, so you uh, use the raise hand function or the Q&A uh, uh, or even the chat and I will moderate the conversation afterwards. So please, Kristin and Tuna. Thank you, Kristin, for uh, letting us be here and present our project. Uh, and I also mentioned that uh, this project is funded uh, by MF as well as by the Church of Norway National Council. So uh, our project is an empirical project about the topic of sin and shame in the age of authenticity. Traditionally, uh, sin has been a pivotal concept in Christianity. But how do young people going to church today relate to this concept? Previous studies show how leaders in Christian youth ministry tend to avoid the concepts of sin when they preach and when they teach to young people. While the concept of sin is not immediately familiar to young people in a post-Christian context, the concept of shame is increasingly uh, present in youth culture. Shame and sin are related concepts as they both denote destructive sides of human life. In our study, we are interested in how young people going to church today reflect upon the concepts of sin and shame. More precisely, we have conducted six group interviews uh, with youths in the age of 15 to 18 years old in two different congregations in the Church of Norway. In our study, we have not only been interested in sin and shame as abstract theoretical concepts, uh, but rather how the young people reflect upon this concept in relation to existential dilemmas. Inspired by theoretical approaches uh, in the research field of ordinary theology and lived religion, we have explored how the young people going to church understand sin and shame as the relevant concept for interpreting significant life experiences. The two congregations we have visited have different theological and also sociocultural profiles. The congregation in the east of Norway is related to the YMCA organization, and it has what 
maybe labeled a liberal uh, theological profile. Uh, it is situated in a low to middle income area and with, uh, uh, with uh, and which also is mostly cultural. The other congregation is from the west of Norway and there uh, the congregation is rather related uh, to more charismatic conservative organizations and it is situated in a more middle to high income area and it is not very multicultural. Our theoretical approach is influenced by Paul Jones's theological world, where he argues that people going to church relate to different theological worlds, uh, where these worlds are characterized by structure and a direction from existential dilemma and to a solution. And we have used this structure uh, to look for existential dilemmas uh, in the young people's reflections and how they relate to some kind of solution or redemption. And in, in the interviews, we have then looked for uh, how they talk about sin and shame in relation to these dilemmas. It should also be mentioned that during our um, period of analysis, uh, it appeared that another uh, theoretical approach was uh, just as relevant, and that is Charles Taylor's theory about the age of authenticity. So as you will see, this is also a theory that we have used uh, in our analysis. And we argue that young people's reflections about skin and shame in relation to existential dilemmas can be better understood when we interpret them as reflections about skin and shame in the age of authenticity. So the most prevalent existential dilemma is the fear of being despised and rejected, especially in the East. Asuna, all these names are pseudonyms that the young people chose themselves, shares how um, important friends are to her and how painful she finds it to be rejected by them. And throughout my life, I've lost quite a lot of friends I used to have and in whom I used to confide. I've noticed that I'm interested in different things and then my friends might find a person who's more interesting and then they start divorcing me, which is results in me losing contact with them. And then I cannot be myself. Asuna is stuck in a dilemma. Despite wanting to be herself, she does not dare to all the time because she has previously experienced that her true self is not considered likable by her peers. She even uses divorce language to express this painful experience. Later in the interview, she elaborates on how the experience of being unwanted or not being interested enough brings about shame, as also Mia in the East knows. She says, I felt ashamed because I wasn't like them. And I thought I had to uh, learn from them how they behave and what they are like, and then I will try to imitate them. When I actually began doing so, I felt ashamed of myself for not being myself. In this quote, Mia articulates the dilemma of double shame. She's ashamed of being different from her friends, yet when trying to imitate them, then she is afraid of not being herself. The ideal seems to be their authentic true self. In general, the young people speak of shame in terms of having to hide who they really are and of not daring to show their true selves. Alvin in East even uses a metaphor of covering himself with a shield when being with his peers at school. In the study, we have not encountered 
pathological shame of the really destructive kind. However, we do know to an axis of shame being a real existential dilemma to shame being more uh, towards embarrassment, uh, a lighter version of shame. Another dilemma is performance pressure, particularly in, e, in the West. And this existential dilemma is also of a different kind. Um, it's not directly linked to shame. It's also more a voluntary pressure, which makes it more ambivalent. And it does not go near as deep as the existential dilemma in East. It's linked to school, to getting good grades, uh, to perform well, and to look great, to have good uh, good looking clothes and accessories and always to uh, kind of be perfect. Um, the, the young people in the West also <clears throat> show some relational vulnerability and instances of everyday shame, but it's less prevalent in West. And perhaps part of it might be um, due to them having a very strong family relationship, which was one thing that really surprised us at how much they emphasized being um, at home in the family, having the family as a refuge place where they did not need to perform. Can you hear me better now? Good, then I continue. So what are the solutions to, di to the dilemmas uh, in the two uh, congregations? In the interviews, probably to the context of the interview, uh, the young people focused most on the church as a solution and the solutions they found in the church. In the East, we heard that the ideal is to be your authentic self. At the same time, they feared being rejected for who they are and were ashamed when they did not dare to show their authentic self. In the church, however, they say repeatedly, they feel that they are good enough as they are and that they are accepted as they are. In West, there is actually a similar solution. Also, they focus on the church as a place where they can be themselves, but they also focus on the church as a place where we are good enough, correspondingly to the dilemma of um, performance pressure. When we asked the young people we interviewed, what is the most important message of this church? They tell us that uh, they feel that in the church, they can come as you, you can come as you are. And that that is actually what they hear that the leaders say as the most important message. That here you can come as you are, you can be who you are and you are good enough. An interesting detail, uh, in the East, when they are going to tell us about this, what they see as this message of the church, they use a song, uh, the song This Is Me uh, from the movie The Greatest Showman, uh, about coming out and not being ashamed about who you are. In the West, however, they use uh, a story uh, of Max Lucado from um, uh, more kind of um, evangelical, uh, a more evangelical context uh, to actually say the same, that the message of the church is that here you can, you are good enough as you are, you can come as you are and you are accepted. So the gospel of the church, 
they see as something rather different from what they find in the schoolyard. And this they say in both the congregations. And here we will hear what Alvin in East says. Yes, I feel that it is far easier to be oneself here at church because here people are not so judgmental. For example, at school, there is much pressure to fit in and to be cool and to not be different. It is about being part of the boys. Whereas here at church, I can be more, be more myself without other judging people judging me because here people actually like me the way I am. Sorry. The deep experience of being accepted just as you are can also be related to the God image of the research participants. When the young people are asked to describe God, Sophia and East responds, I feel that God is almost like a diary. If you're feeling bad or if you're happy, there is someone you can tell all about it to. You don't always get an answer, but you know that there is someone in whom you can confide. In a diary, you can write everything and anything you'd like without having uh, fearing to be condemned or despised. And this is reflected in Sophia's and the other's description of God. In the interviews, God is also characterized as someone who accepts you just as you are and who welcomes you just as you are. This God image is salient in both youth groups and it came up spontaneously from them, as well as as a response to our direct questions of how they imagine God. And this God image can be interpreted as part of the redemption or solution of their existential dilemmas. While the research participants kept searching for words when asked to reflect on different understandings of sin, that's so weird perhaps, they are far more confident when sharing about practices related to confessing sin. Like Asuna says, I feel it's lovely to ask for forgiveness by using the prayer jar. Then I know that I can say everything I've done wrong. I can bring all the bad things people might think to God himself because I know that he won't judge me in the same way that others might. It's worth noting that Asuna does not fear the judgment of God, but rather the judgment of her peers. The young people emphasize how they confess sin and ask for forgiveness primarily for their own sake rather than for the sake of God. They describe this in subjective and almost therapeutic terms, quote, it feels better inside when you've emptied yourself of your sins, as Henriette notes. Whereas Mia articulates Quote, it is allowed to sin that God offers forgiveness and that it's good for me to be able to ask for forgiveness and to know that God forgives you, end quote. As we try to portray, as we try to portray in this slide, sin is understood in moral categories as something you do, and it's taking place on a horizontal level, quorum hominibus, as the theologians say, um, whereas forgiveness is asked vertically uh, by turning to God and receiving forgiveness from God, Koram Deo. While Luther was searching for a gracious God, the young people we interviewed were searching for a gracious community. 
To Luther's fear of God and his belief in a gracious God are closely related. To the research participants, God neither represents a demand to fulfill the law, nor the judgment if the law is not fulfilled. Rather, the demand is to be oneself or to be one's best self. And the judgment of this demand is not fulfilled, does not come from God, but rather from their peers or even from themselves. Hence, there is no fear of God. Instead, God is a place to seek refuge. So why then do we argue that sin and shame in the reflections of these young people could be understood in light of Taylor's age of authenticity? First, the ultimate sin in the age of authenticity is to not be oneself or to not be one's best self, which might cause great shame. Moreover, shame occurs when one is not accepted as one's true self. According to the young people we interviewed, the Christian community, however, offers redemption in terms of an accepting community, an accepting God image, and an accepting gospel message, almost tailor-made for the age of authenticity and almost tailor-made for generation performance, generation prestationers, Ulle Matzen, as Jakobsen, Ulle Jakob Matzen says, uh, also about the Christian church. Um, and these are salient patterns across these two youth groups, uh, in spite of maximum um, variety sampling strategies. Second, we were surprised that sin was actually a meaningful concept to the research participants. However, we were taken by surprise a second time when we discovered that the practice of confessing sins made sense to the young people when approached in a subjective, emotional, and almost therapeutic way. Thus, the way they related the concepts of sin was characterized by what tables Taylor labels the subjective turn. They did not ask forgiveness because God demands it, but simply because it felt good. Thank you very much. <laughs>